Franchise Voice, the International Franchise Association podcast with your host, Bill Meyerling, and I'm Jack Munson. Bill, how are you today? Great, Jack. Great to be with you today. Today, we're joined by Robin Gagnon, CEO and co-founder of We Sell Restaurants, uh, the nation's largest restaurant brokerage firm, broker, franchise specialing in restaurant sales. Robin, how are you doing today? I am doing great, Bill. Thanks so much to both you, Jack, and the IFA for allowing me to join you today. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much. You know, we're here today to talk a little bit about your recent Franchising World article that discussed the efficacy of the franchise business model, specifically around managing the pandemic. But before we get to your perspective on that, uh, could you share a little bit about resale restaurants? Absolutely. Uh, as you mentioned, We Sell Restaurants is a franchise brand specializing in the sale of restaurants, both franchise and non-franchise. We work in about 48 states nationwide and have hundreds of millions in listing inventory connecting those who want the American dream, those who are in fact open for opportunity and looking for franchise resales into the franchise resale marketplace. So needless to say, given your insights into the restaurant business and specifically the franchise restaurant business across the entire United States, you know, what, what did that tell you during the pandemic? So it was really in real time as people were really struggling with the situation in front of them. What we saw very, very clearly articulated was that the franchise model was front and center was able to deliver on the promise to their franchisee, their community, and coach, and deliver while the non-franchise model, the independent restaurants we were working with, were struggling. And it was really on every front. We saw it when it came to funding and landlords, supply chain, delivery. But overall, the underlying premise of the franchise model is about a systemic approach to business. So they were able to capture what was happening in real time use a staff and educate and share with their constituency, which was the franchisee, and really position that franchisee for success far above and beyond the independent operator who was struggling so much in the moment just to keep their head above water with everything happening in the industry that they just um, fell so far behind their franchise competitor in the marketplace. Tell us a little bit more about that. Did did those numbers changed drastically during the pandemic um, or was it sort of still the same sort of benefit that it's always been for the past couple of decades? What, what sort of results did you see? Well, that is a great question, Jack, because what we really saw, so while everyone was talking about the things that were happening to the restaurant industry, for example, they were um, being told to operate at maybe 20% capacity while still paying 100% of the rent. They were having to figure out how to box up, carry, and deliver um, food to the masses, which is something they hadn't really been great at before. But what we saw was that the discipline that the franchise model brought to the system allowed their franchisees to, one, evaluate that menu in many cases, sh uh, shortening it, cutting it down, which probably was a result that needed to happen. We had very overloaded and bigger menus. And the resultant um, action from that was to deliver a reduction in food costs. We saw franchisors starting to use the real estate department to go out and work with landlords and renegotiate 
abatements in rent or pullbacks, carve-outs in rent for a period of time to get them through the crisis, which improved their operational model as it related to occupancy. And then because they had fewer staff on hands and they were able to actually perform at better par levels, knowing what was coming in the door because it was going out via delivery versus whoever would just walk in the door, we saw better metrics on food costs. So overall, we saw the bottom line of many, many franchise businesses improve because those are the three big costs, food, labor, and occupancy during the pandemic. And they actually delivered better results on the bottom line. And we're now seeing that um, go through the system in terms of franchise resales right now, where they're getting better multiples and of course, higher sales, higher profitability, leads to ultimately better selling prices. When it comes to those resales and the, and the value of a restaurant right now, are you seeing certain subcategories of restaurants that are really knocking it out of the park compared to others? Or is it pretty much the same across the board? And I mean, you know, like pizza versus other types of, of uh, restaurants. Absolutely. Generically, it's about QSR. Um, even franchise models that were full service um, still struggled, and there aren't that many of them. But QSR in particular, and then as a subset of that, anything that had a drive-through, pizza, obviously, which you spoke about, anything that was um, was already within that sort of delivery model continued to shoot up. But even franchise sandwich shops have been remarkable. And you're even seeing at the M&A level, lots of brands come in last year, like RBI's acquisition of Firehouse Sub and Fat Brands acquisition of a dozen different brands. You saw that at the M&A market. We're also seeing that play out at the Main Street market, where people are saying, I went into this business because not only was it pandemic proof, it grew during the pandemic. So um, so not as much about an individual type concept, but if they had a drive-through, if they're already set up for delivery like pizza was, if they had a model that was already working and it easily translated into delivery like um, sandwich brands, those are on fire. You know, looking at our 2022 Franchising Economic Outlook report, we see uh, QSRs growing by 2.1% to 192,426 businesses this year, and table service growing by 2.5% to 32,819 locations. Um, you know, when you're looking at these numbers, what did you think in the midst of the pandemic about how these restaurants would fare through and then afterward? Well, the thing about this, um, the, the American public, is that we do love restaurants. It took about three days of cooking at home before everyone in the pandemic said, okay, how do I get food delivered to me or how can I pick it up? <laughs> we're, never, we're never giving up that experience. So um, we were confident that people would return to restaurants and full service when dine-in was, was available again to the American public. That being said, while we were in the midst of the crisis, it was a matter of who could first um, quickly get to the market with a digital marketing message because that's how people were communicating and being communicated to. So finding the customer where they are. And secondly, um, who was able to most efficiently and effectively deliver and control their cost metrics. So think about it. While an independent restaurant may have been figuring out how do I get on Uber Eats or DoorDash, 
a brand with a thousand units was saying, I'm delivering this kind of volume to you. What can you do to position my franchisees first, um, give them better pricing, give them a better situation? So again, that's just reinforces how the franchise model helped this industry so much overall to make it through this crisis. You know, Robin, when we were in Miami together just last month, I had the opportunity to meet with a Burger King franchisee by the name of Marianela Aran. Um, she talked about how her franchise brand uh, her through the pandemic in incredible ways uh, that she wouldn't have been able to gain access to PPP, but Burger King was able to connect her with a, a small community bank in another state uh, that really happened for her. You know, you talked about... Um, you talked just a moment ago about the idea of digital marketing assets and how franchise brands brought that to the table. What other types of uh, support structures did franchise brands put in place uh, through the pandemic uh, that helped franchise restaurants uh, fare the storm better? Well, you nailed it, Bill. It was this uh, idea of funding. I mean, for us as a brand, we sell restaurants. We were out there learning everything we could possibly learn about PPP money and EIDL loans and every form of, of um, funding that might be available for the restaurant marketplace. And we were sharing and communicating and educating our audience, but the franchise brand was able to put people literally on this task and associate themselves with lenders that were processing these and be able to train and coach because, I mean, restaurants were getting whiplash. Remember when, when, and by the way, IFA did amazing work to get franchise um, restaurants included in that PPP um, allocation of funds. And, and because there was a period of time when it wasn't even sure that franchises would be part of the bill. But from that step into the franchise brands themselves, they were able to pull everybody together, educate them, tell them what the resources were, connect them with banks and get cash in their hands when they needed it. And on the flip, on the back end, they were able to communicate, this is the documentation that you need for forgiveness. And this is how you um, navigate this crisis. For the independent restaurant owner, they were just trying to keep their head above water. They didn't know where to go or Many of them were calling us, but beyond that, they didn't have someone that was saying, walk this path. And, and sometimes their community bank was just saying to them, um, you know, we can't process any more of these applications. We're done. So the franchise was instrumental in, in first from the IFA standpoint, making sure that the brands were included in the funding. And then secondly, to make sure that brands were able to participate in the PPP funds as it was rolling out and they knew what to do, where to apply, how to track it, how to get forgiveness. And then, and that applied to PPP, EIDL, earned income tax credits, the entire gamut of financial resources available to the restaurant marketplace. Yeah, I'll join you in that, Robin. And, and I'm sure Bill and his team are, uh, are too humble to, uh, to uh, admit it, but I, I think the IFA did an outstanding job during uh, all of the shutdowns and, and keeping not just um, not just spirits up, but really keeping the communication out there with IFA members and restaurant owners and other business owners too about what they should be doing or could be doing. And I'm not so sure that um, that that would have been the same in in past crises. So kudos to the IFA team over. 
there. Robin, you mentioned mergers and acquisitions. Obviously, that's, you know, I guess post-pandemic, that's the story of of the year or maybe for a couple of years here in franchising. There's just so many um, uh, great business stories happening. How do you see mergers and acquisitions happening and continuing through this year and into next year? I would assume we're going to see, you know, a, a steady flow of of great deals happening. Do you see that? And um, and also, how is that affecting your business and independent restaurant owners that you work with every day now? So I would tell you that if if this first quarter is any indication, M&A is going to just continue at really an unprecedented pace. Some of that is because there's just so much money that's been parked on the sidelines. But the other uh, real reason is that um, folks are seeing just how resilient this industry is and that there is money out there and there's market share. 110,000 restaurants did close during the pandemic. And um, that's data from the National Restaurant Association. So franchises and those who are looking to consolidate and grow are, are taking up that space in the community. And we are continuing to see tremendous deal flow. Um, there was a report yesterday um, from Rabobank called Franchising the American Dream that stated that franchise growth in the past decade in the restaurant world has grown to 28.4% market share. That's over a decade from 19% in 2012. And non-franchise units have dropped back by 11%. Wow. I think that's going to continue to um, go down uh, because franchisors are now coming in and saying, how can I get some of that some of those 110,000 locations that are out there, Robin, I want to put units in there, get me second generation space, um, get me low value um, con- conversion uh, opportunities. And then we are doing a tremendous amount of work in consolidation where brands are saying, I have 15 to 20 different operators in the market. I want to make that one or two. And then we've these M&A firms with so much money coming in saying, we want to buy 15 or 20 at a time. Wow. And I would assume too, that there, there must be a large number of business owners and potential business owners out there who maybe were not in the restaurant space five years ago, but they saw how some restaurant brands fared very well through the pandemic. And and maybe they're thinking about what's the next crisis? Is there going to be another pandemic in a couple of years or a war or you know, whatever comes around the corner, we all still need to eat, right? So I, I think restaurants are, are probably more attractive than ever. I absolutely agree with you. And in its darkest hours, when we were looking at March 15th and restaurants were being closed everywhere, I still had full faith in this model. I mean, the idea of breaking bread is as old as man itself. There's just something about we are social animals, that idea of being in front of each other and sharing that experience that will never go away in our culture. And so many people, uh, business brokerage firms kind of shied away from restaurants for a period of time during the pandemic. And they went to what they called the COVID proof businesses that they were selling. And it was, you know, whether it was a cleaning company or janitorial service or whatever, we stay very true and very focused on our core business, the restaurant model. And I think that investors are seeing, yes, there was a a tough, very short period of time, but guess what? They got smarter 
um, they got better, they cut menus, they, they increased profitability, they figured out how to do things with technology and lower labor costs altogether. You know, that's why I, the article was titled, Did a Crisis Just Prove How Well the Franchise Restaurant Model Works? In so many ways, this crisis really made people sharpen their pencil and get so much smarter and better about how they operate. And that's what makes them so attractive now to the investment community and to the one-man owner who says, I want to be part of the American dream. I want to be part of the franchise restaurant American dream. And now that the pandemic is over, knock on wood, Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't think anyone's going to go back to operating less intelligently, right? Um, what types of things do you think we may go back to? Are there are there parts of the restaurant business that may revert to sort of pre-pandemic processes? Or do you think things we've learned and the, the technologies that everyone shifted to, um, are, are most of those things going to go forward into the future with us? I believe we fundamentally changed the lexicon of how restaurants operate. And so they got smarter, they got leaner, they brought in technology. I heard some CEOs uh, speaking about the fact that something that they would have taken two years to study and roll out, they rolled up their sleeves and got out in six weeks because it was, you know, the mother of necessity. So I believe that so much of what we learn will stay with us and it will keep people innovating and growing into the future because face it, the, there are still issues out there. There are supply chain issues, so that's good. We figured out how to do more with less and take some of these menus that were quite frankly overblown and cut them back to the best and PS most profitable items on the menu. And we figured out how to do things with less people and introduce technology. So some of it was where we were as an industry, a little fat and happy, and we got much better at what we do. And I think all of those will continue to be part of the industry and we'll just keep pushing forward for the future and integrating as many new um, ideas that we can to make the business model even sharper and better and more profitable. Switching gears from the business model to the human element for a moment, uh, because restaurants are fundamentally about serving people. You know, what are some of the change and how do you think franchise brands responded to that through the pandemic and afterward? Oh, my, well, so the obviously the, the first was this idea of delivery and um, how much of that food was going to go out the door outside of your four walls. And what was really incredible was to see how um, franchisors got into this mix and, and already they had test kitchens. So they were already able to say these five things on your menu will hold temperature and be, um, you know, go out the door and be still good for the consumer at the back end 15, 18, 17 minutes later. They also went out and bought up all the product that was out there. And that kind of shifted the game for non-franchise restaurants. They were trying to find containers for heaven's sakes and supply chain masters in the franchise business had already figured out what held temperature and could ship and what would go out the door and what product they needed to make that happen. So I believe that um, their ability to deliver on the delivery model was key. The second thing was, you know, franchisors already understood the digital space and how they had to market there and their ability to shift 
um, money into that space was able to attract the consumer where they were living. And I believe the consumer is going to continue to rely on that smartphone more and more and more in terms of what's the best um, food experience for me, what's the best restaurant experience for me. And franchisors have the upper hand in that. And lastly, just being able to communicate that the consumer wants to know that where they are visiting is safe, that they understand safety and cleaning protocols. And franchisors are about systems and processes, and they're very good at communicating expectations to franchisees. And then franchisees in turn are very good at communicating that to the the public. So I think the customer is going to demand an upgraded experience in terms of cleanliness and having someone explain that to them. And as a result, by listening to that voice of the consumer, they're going to continue to deliver on greater market share. Through the pandemic, it seems like the franchise brands stars shined brightly. And it's just asking Robin, you know, what's your outlook for the future? I believe that franchise restaurants are still going to occupy a tremendous um, space in the industry. I think they are going to continue to grow, and I believe that's consistent with the research you cited for um, 2.1% growth in QSR, 2.5% growth in full service. Um, the majority of the restaurants that we lost were independents, unfortunately, legacy brands, so we lost a a culinary experience. So I think what we will see is more diversity of experience, more diversity of food offerings, those things that you could only get at your local neighborhood restaurant. We are seeing more and more concepts and that's reflective of the diversity in our, uh, in our entire environment and offering foods that have a, a different cultural feel and a different taste. So I think we're just going to push forward with more and more franchise brands, but there'll be a more diverse experience. And there, it, five more sandwich brands aren't going to be interesting or effective and attract a consumer, but five more brands that speak to a new way in which we um, t take food in with our eyes and with our ears and, and with all of our senses and enjoy that experience those are going to strike a chord and continue to grow. That would be my projection for the industry. Very good. Robin, thanks so much for joining Bill Meyerling and I today on Franchise Voice. We look forward to seeing you very soon at an IFA event and uh, good luck for the rest of the year. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Bill, and to the IFA for allowing me to have a platform today to talk about the restaurant industry. And thanks to everyone for listening to Franchise Voice. We'll be back next week with more news and information from the International Franchise Association.